We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com B-E. Every child deserves a team. That's the belief behind Jigsaw Learning, a proud sponsor of the Bee Podcast Network. And it's why the company, founded by educators Curtis and Lorna Hewson, focuses on ensuring success for all learners through collaborative response an approach in which every child is supported by a team. Through customized professional learning that incorporates workshops, leadership development, online learning opportunities, and more, Jigsaw Learning can guide you every step of the way to create a plan to maximize the collective capacity in your schools. Learn more at jigsawlearning.ca. You know, we all do a lot of talking about inclusion, and that is important. Because inclusion lies at the heart of everyone having an opportunity to be the best version of themselves that they can. But now let me ask you about technology. Because most of the technology we use every day, we take for granted. And what we don't realize is that its original intent was for the purpose of including those with disabilities. Let that sink in for a moment. Hey everyone, Dr. Jones here with another episode of Seeing to Lead. And in this episode, Christine Fox talks to us about using technology to improve inclusion for students. And we don't just talk about using technology for inclusion, but realizing that we have to adjust our use of technology to make sure we're including everyone. You see, students have grown up using technologies as a tool. If we take it away from them, It's putting them all at a disservice. With all this new technology, especially AI, we worry about cheating. Is it really cheating if they're using the tools they've grown accustomed to? Think about that. Think about times throughout history where items improve, that help the process, that people use to get ahead. We don't call it cheating. We call it progress. There are a number of things Christine Fox tells us in this episode that are so useful having to do with our thought process and how we go about making sure students are included with technology. However, she gives us some very specific examples targeted at social media so that it's more accessible. I mean, how often do you use alt tags on images? Capitalized hashtags. Use shortened links or use captions on your videos. Now, these practices are increasing, but we can always get better, and we always know that. So why don't we first do that by listening to Christine Fox on this week's episode of Seeing to Lead. As always, if you find value in this, don't hesitate to tell us. Shout us out on social media with your biggest takeaway. And don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with others who might find value too. The more you subscribe, the more you rate, the more you review, the more people can hear others like Christine Fox 
making education better for everyone. Yes, everyone involved. But enough from me. Let's get to getting better on Seeing to Lead with Christine Fox. Let's talk about flex time in schools. The potential benefits to our students make it worth exploring. More time for personalized learning, increased choice and agency for students, and the increased engagement that comes along with it. Dedicated time for intervention. Overall, as school leaders, it gives us and our faculty more tools to increase academic achievement. But the implementation and management of flex time can be a challenge. Tricky logistics and a lack of clear accountability systems can prevent teachers from buying in and can hold us back from ensuring students make good use of their time. I'm pleased to share that MyFlex Learning provides a solution to these challenges and more. MyFlex Learning helps you create and manage flexible time for any purpose, and with seamless SIS integration, a student locator, flexible daily rostering, and an intuitive mobile app, it eliminates the common challenges of implementation and management. Want to see for yourself? Visit MyFlexLearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off the first year of use. That's MyFlexLearning.com B-E. To me, the younger, the better on the educating of the what and why and how. And I do think we need to teach children to self-monitor. Um, the value of in-person engagement is a big deal. So it should be as great as, hey, swim practice was canceled. You know, oh, we're going to have a pep rally on Thursday. Like all the, it's great to gather information. It's great to create content. It gives kids an outlet. But then there is that other side of dependence on it, addiction to it. Obviously, here in our district, they talk a lot about the bullying online, but it's much more than that. And I think that it takes every educator, every from the district down to really be conscientious of it and not just throw up their hands and be like, well, I, you know, I'm an English teacher. I, I don't get involved in that. We teach math. But if every day or every week there was some kind of small message and kids understanding the science. Dr. Chris Jones here and welcome to Seeing to Lead, a show designed to help leaders increase their ability to effectively support, engage, and empower their staff through intentional practices so that they create an environment where everyone reaches their greatest level of success. On Seeing to Lead, communication rules the day as we hear voices from both teachers and leaders in an effort to examine perspectives, highlight misunderstandings, and provide steps to ultimately bridge the gap between what teachers need and provide through thought dialogue. This show is about amplifying voices, creating understanding, and providing information to help everyone continually improve. I want to personally thank you for taking the time. Now, let's get to getting better. As the Sites Project Director, Christine Fox manages the planning and implementation of Sites activities. In coordination with the Center's Principal Investigator and Cast Director of Technical Assistance, Christine coordinates the evaluation and reporting budgeting, and leveraging of internal and external partnerships related to this project. Prior to joining CAST, Christine was the Senior Director of External Relations for the Consortium for School Networking, where she was responsible for corporate partnerships, professional advancement programs, and supported advocacy efforts. Her role included managing opportunities for district technology leaders and companies to collaborate. Christine spent the majority of her career in leadership positions at State Educational Technology Directors Association. Most recently, 
She served as the interim executive director, charting the strategic direction of the organization and facilitating the members' professional learning opportunities. In addition, she managed product development from conception to publication, including Navigating the Digital Shift Reports 2015 to 2019, the Broadband Imperative Report Series, and the Guide to Quality Instructional Materials. Christine's background includes experience in education and consulting. She has worked as an educational consultant and curriculum developer, ESOL coordinator, and elementary school teacher. She holds a master's degree from TESOL from FIU and an undergraduate degree from FSU. When she's not working, she enjoys walking, reading, cooking, cheering for the FSU Seminoles, and attending her teenage daughter's activities, including softball games and swim meets. I'm excited to talk to Christine today because she's a connector, which ultimately lies at the heart of inclusion, which I'm sure you're going to hear is big on her radar for things that need to be paid attention to in our schools today. So welcome, Christine. I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thank you, Chris. And I I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you, learn from you, uh, and share some of my experiences as well as our work at sites. I was uh, one of the other reasons I was excited is because as we talked a little bit in the in the pre-show, I was a Seminoles fan and and you picked up on was, but I explained that that was the beginning and kind of I ended watching college football cheering for the Seminoles. So So the Seminoles are in your heart, which is uh, great for us. And you never know, we're going to have a a stellar year, I think. So it might be time to come back and uh, re-engage with college football. I was going to say, you'll you'll get me back watching from the comfort of my couch, seeing that the days of playing college football have long since passed me. <laughs> so why don't why don't we jump right into it? I mean, I, I mentioned sites, and you know, there's a lot to it, and it seems like a, a deep programming structure. So could you explain a little bit to the listeners what that is and what your role at sites is. Sure. So sites is a center that's funded by the Office of Special Education Programs at the U.S. Department of Education. Uh, and our official title is the Center on Inclusive Technology and Education Systems. And the goal of this project is truly to bring together leaders in districts from infrastructure ed tech with the leaders from special education and assistive technologies so that the planning and designing of the technology systems, as well as the teaching and learning, ensure to include opportunities for all learners, including those with disabilities. And this has been a five-year grant. The end of that grant runs out November 30th, but I'm excited to share that we learned about a month ago that we were refunded. So we have five more years um, to be able to support district leadership teams, uh, educators, across the country and and really diving in deep to make sure that their procedures, their policies, their practices, or procurement are keeping those students with disabilities in mind. And oftentimes, most times, the access to AT, assistive technologies, as well as accessible materials is impactful for all students. You know, we are technology. We use technology all day, every day. And many of the, the tools we use our accessibility features that the that general education leaders and the general public found out about texting, voice to text, screen readers, all of these embedded tools in our personal um, tablets, phones, and devices are now available to students. But at one time, they were really created for those that were sight or hearing impaired. 
I'll, I'll just start by saying I, I love my voice to text. <laughs> um, so it works for everybody. And the idea that it was originally created, I think I'm saying this right. I want to make sure I'm, I'm bringing this back to you right. That it was created for special education uses to begin with or individuals that had areas of concern, whether it was hearing or, or sight-based issues. But now you say it's available to everybody, which we realize that our students use it, adults use it, just like I said, I love my text-to-speech. How do leaders work on the idea of maybe convincing teachers that it's something that all students should be using? Yeah, you know, some of my colleagues at CAS have a session they've done at conferences called It's Not Cheating. And so I think that is, yeah, it really is a mindset. None of us say, oh, we're cheating because we're voice texting in our phones while we're using our car audio, right? Or the fact that we're texting instead of making a phone call. And so these the students we're working with now have grown up with access to all of these tools. So to then take those away when they go to the classroom is is one concern. But the other is there's variability in learning styles. You know, uh, students with ADHD, they may specifically benefit from voice to text so they can get all their ideas out at once. But then, yes, they'll go in and type in a word program so that they can organize those ideas, but they were able to capture all that content. I myself, um, I, I walk. I try to walk at least, you know, five, six days a week. And I come up with great ideas when I'm walking, but I can't type it all out. So I voice memo to myself so later I can go back. And it's just part of our personal and working life. And so it, it really can be and, and should be an option for students in schools. One of the reasons I like what you're saying is because it makes the school environment mimic or, or more closely mirror what it's like when they get out of school. All too often, we talk about where do you get to the real world? Well, shouldn't it be the real world that they're operating in if um, we want them to be successful when they leave school? Exactly. You know, with all my time at CETA, um, we spent a lot of time on broadband and access to devices, you know, obviously pre-pandemic. And many papers that I wrote and research we did was about the fact that school should mimic what life is like, including careers and uh, college opportunities. So there aren't any careers these days, whether you're an artist or a mechanic or a physician, everyone is using technology in some way, shape or form. And you need to be able to use the tools as they're accessible to you. And they make sense for you to be able to access what you need and also produce what you need. So I don't know of careers today where there is absolutely zero technology because even if you're applying for a job, you need to leverage that technology. Folks that are artists need to promote their art <laughs> and use social media and that. So it, even if you are not using technology, to, you need it for dissemination or accounting purposes. And it just makes a lot of sense to really prep the kids that way. So that brings up an interesting point. So you mentioned the pandemic and, you know, I... I me personally, and I'd love to hear your take on this. The pandemic, as awful as it was, did offer some opportunities if we bring them forward in a positive way in education. But there's always the push to go back into into our comfort zones and get back to normal. For those listeners, I'm I'm using air quotes when I say normal. But uh, it's almost, and I think that one of the outcomes of the pandemic is with students and and schools using more technology with students. It really has normalized almost the use of technology in certain areas, which we love to talk about equity. 
And it seems like it now just takes more of the stigma away from special education students because all students are using it in a different way. What are your thoughts around that? Yes, I had this conversation the other day with a friend who was trying to better understand what I do um, for my job. And oftentimes, as you mentioned, special education students had access to technology before general education students ever did. And having said that, bringing together so that those students feel, you know, part of the group instead of isolated and separate is, is a big deal. But also now how students have access to that technology, they may still need different features. They might need a touch screen. They might need a larger screen. And part of what we do at SITE is to talk a little bit about that personalizing devices, working with students and families, which device makes the most sense for that child. But IT directors are becoming more and more conscious of the fact that those devices should look like the devices that the other students have. And also, it's much easier for them if they're the same brand, if they're the same type of device, because then when they're managing the technology, it's it's more seamless. I was in a session last year at a conference and two IT directors were talking and one said, oh, we solved the accessibility problem because all students in our district have iPads because of some of the features that they need and the apps that they need. And everyone else has a Chromebook. and. The other panelists said, we used to do that, but we don't anymore because especially our middle and high schoolers did not want to walk around with an iPad when then that just was, you know, it was like a red flag. Ding, 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 ding. You for an IP plan because you have an iPad and the rest of us have Chromebooks. So I think the access is critical. It is level the playing field. And then uh, the managing of that access and that customizing of those tools for all students is critical. And I and I do believe that the IT directors and district leadership are, are really beginning to understand that. Not to harp on the pandemic, but some of the students with disabilities struggled the most at home because they didn't have assistive technologies that they might have had at schools, you know, whether it was a switch or other tools. And then it was a large issue of the accessibility of the content. So they had a device and they could use a screen reader but the content that the district had purchased or the apps or tools they're using couldn't access that content. And so that has become another blessing in disguise, for lack of a better term, of, of the reality of... We've gone away from all this, everyone worrying about district websites being accessible to, hey, what the students are using and the quality of the content that they have available is accessible. And that is, you know, in the, in the larger picture probably more important. It's almost, and and so what I'm hearing you say is there's a couple of red flags that people have to pay attention to. One, it's to make sure that the technology that schools are using needs to be compatible or talk to some people. I, you know, I forever hear us talk about the different software programs we need, need to be able to talk to each other. But so the the software or the technology that we're using needs to be compatible with what the students have access to. And that we also need to realize technology really has advanced, and this is on the procurement side almost, technology is almost advanced to the point where the device doesn't matter. So we can personalize the devices so we can give that same as everybody else look to people that have vastly different experiences on the same device. Is that is that true or is that what you're saying? 
That is mostly true. So folks can customize their devices with the settings, especially the built-in most LMSs, most, uh, you know, the two big content tools, Microsoft and Google have quite a bit of robust accessibility features. And so most for most students, that is true. They can customize their device to meet their needs and have the settings that they can leverage as long as the content that the district to your point about the procurement is purchasing is built accessible. And then there will be students that need um, more RAM for specific apps, or they might need, as I referenced earlier, a larger screen, or they might need a touch screen or a different keyboard. And those things then are a little bit more seamless if the district is aware of that, they understand what tools are compatible with the devices that they're purchasing so that when a new student arrives, they're prepared. And we talk a lot about that in Sites. Uh, we just published a video. It's five minutes. It's the what and why of inclusive technology. And it shows some of these different options for students. And we've seen with the districts that we've been working with, they're actually planning ahead. One district in Connecticut was talking about, you know, pre-purchasing maybe specific assistive technologies, switches or keyboards. So that if a student arrives, it's not this race to figure out and solve a problem, but hey, we have you know a few of those right here. We have a couple of larger laptops or Chromebooks, and that way students have the same access at the same time versus having to wait, because that is a big issue sometimes. In other words, be proactive instead of reactive. Absolutely. Definitely. Supporting your teachers and students seems to be a struggle. They just don't seem to be engaged. You wish they would take more responsibility for their learning and culture of the building, but they just don't seem to be empowered enough to do it. So my question is, have you checked out the book Seeing to Lead yet? It's all about creating a true educational experience where learning, growth, leadership, and community take center stage. Full of strategies and resources, Seeing to Lead is about attaining that goal, by employing a model that supports, engages, and empowers all individuals to become leaders themselves. Pick up a copy today at seeingtolead.com. That's S-E-E-I-N-G-T-O-L-E-A-D.com. Remember, you don't become a leader and then decide you need to support and recognize others more than yourself. It is the moment you realize it's about supporting and recognizing others that you become a leader. SeeingToLead.com. So something I'd I'd like to circle back to that you had you had mentioned was the social media piece and how everybody needs to use not needs to, but everybody is using technology. I guess needs to. If you're an artist and you want to sell your art, a, a good way to do it's on social media. Whether it's whether it's painting, whether it's music, whether it's messaging. I'm I'm a heavy user of social media as a school principal to stay in touch with my community because my parents, as you're probably well aware, are on Facebook. My students are somewhat on Instagram, but they've moved to Snapchat and so forth. So we have myself using social media and other and other leaders, but kids are all over social media. How do we as schools step into that space so that we can help students with responsible use of social media and still kind of sidestep or help them combat against all those negative aspects of social media that we hear? That is a great question. 
Before I dig into that, I do want to give a plug for the fact that social media also should be accessible. And there are different ways that folks can create their posts so they are accessible to to any user with a disability. So let's dig into that a little bit. Okay. (laughs) So one of those uh, things is that any image that you share should have an alt tag. And sometimes some of the tools will ask you, you know, do you want to tag this? Some of them you can create a setting so it reminds you to create a tag. But that way, if anyone is using a reader on any device, they know what you've shared as an image. So that's a big deal. Also, hashtags using camel case so that every word in your hashtag starts with a capital letter. That's impactful because otherwise a screen reader is going to try to read the entire hashtag as one word. And that can get very tricky and almost impossible. And then finally, the links that folks share. And this is in general. And I, one of my colleagues just called me out of this because I shared one of those super long, ugly Google doc links. <laughs> yeah, you know. yeah, I know the ones you're talking about. Yeah. Well, their screenwriter will start reading every single character in that URL. So, you know, there are a variety of tools to shorten URLs and make them meaningful. And then folks that are using a screen reader, it's much easier. And I think of, you know, I was a second language teacher and that's what my master's is in. So I think of folks that are learning a language or maybe even families that we have that their reading levels are lower than probably they should be. Some of these things will just help folks in general, right? And they're not necessarily someone that has a 504 or IEP. So... I have to give a plug for that because it's small little things you can do can be very impactful for others. That's, that is, that's brilliant. So I just, I just want to repeat those three things. You just shared gold for the, for the listeners. And I want to make sure that they hear these. And I've got personal experiences with all of them. So some good, some not so good, but boy, just simple things you can do. So if you're sharing a picture on social media, make sure you use an alt tag. And just take a few seconds and research how you can set, put a setting in there that reminds you to do it so it doesn't slip your mind when you're speeding along and getting something done quick. Capitalize your hashtags. Now, I do this just, but that's just the anal part of me where I like to see <laughs> that done. I never thought that a screen reader, what, is, what that means to a screen reader, how they just read it all lowercase. So that's, that's excellent. So number two is capitalize your hashtags. And number three is shortening your links. So when you get those long links, there's all kinds of shortening tools out there. I mean, Bitly was the biggest one for the longest time, but now there, I mean, there's all kinds of Google links and and so forth, but shorten those links because of screen readers. And now I get text messages that come through on my truck when I'm driving. So I don't text and it'll say, oh, you know, new text message. I hit listen. I cannot stand the ones that I get from like 800 numbers that, the oh, screen yeah. reader reads every single thing and I'm sitting there just saying to myself, stop it, stop reading. So I can't imagine a person with a screen reader when you share a link for them to to go to, they must experience the same frustration. And I just thought of one other thing is if you share video, the captions should be available on that video. So, and that might be something that I think it's commonplace for many, but not everyone. I can share a link with you for the show notes if that helps. Perfect. Yeah, from the National AIM Center. The National AIM Center is the National Accessible Educational Materials. It's also funded by the same Office of Special Education Programs. And they have a specific, they have a page on their website, how to create accessible social media and some resources and a webinar people can watch. And 
That would be fantastic if you share that. And now we've mentioned it so people have heard it, but now we'll share it so they can just click on it in the okay, show notes. That, that'd be awesome. Okay, so I didn't answer your question, though. <laughs> no, that's what I think. I think your your uh, answer was better than anything I was asking. So it was I was asking about just how do we how do we sidestep the evils, so to speak, of social media for kids and help them see beyond modeling because uh, an obvious answer is modeling, but help them see the benefits that social media has and help them do that in an accessible way. You know, as a mother of two teenagers, one now in college and one in high school, this is something that I struggle with too. And I've been in this world and I've watched some of this. I think that schools have opportunities, whether it's kindergarten. And to me, the younger, the better on the educating of the what and why and how. And I do think we need to teach children to self-monitor. Um, the value of in-person engagement is a big deal. So it should be as great to, hey, swim practice was canceled. You know, oh, we're going to have a pep rally on Thursday. Like all the, it's great to gather information. It's great to create content. It gives kids an outlet. But then there is that other side of dependence on it, addiction to it. Obviously, here in our district, they talk a lot about the bullying online, but it's much more than that. And I think that it takes every educator, every from the district down to really be conscientious of it and not just throw up their hands and be like, well, I, you know, I'm an English teacher. I, I don't get involved in that. We teach math. But if every day or every week there was some kind of small message and kids understanding the science, I mean, you've probably seen some of the 60 minutes and 2020 episodes on how social media and other uh, tools are tracking what we do and they're hiring neuroscientists to make sure that we go back and click again. And, you know, they, they show folks in chairs where your phone's on the other side of their room and they are tracking your anxiety because you, you hear it dinging, but you can't touch it. And maybe for some students, that would be helpful to really understand you're in control and you need to be in control, just like we do about other, other things that we hope teenagers don't get involved in, right? Or, or need to pay attention to how much sugar they have. Right. So. It's a very line. It's a challenge. And I think the modeling as parents and educators is important, but also there has to be digital citizenship instruction and not just this one week a year we celebrate this or we send out a memo once a month. It has to be just part of instruction. So something that I wonder about because, and and I don't, and I'd, I'd like to hear your opinion on this, but I, I'm not a fan of just outwardly banning everything. Like schools ban phones, they lock them up. I'm more along the lines of educating uh, about their proper use. And I'm not, but, but that said, I don't, I don't have the answer as to how we do that effectively on a consistent basis to where we make a, make an impact. However, I think about that and I think about that stance and then I think about AI and how do we model the idea that we shouldn't be using the cell phones and technology for everything, but here's AI. We want you to use this. Is there a way that we can tie that together and maybe use AI to our advantage as far as responsible use teaching? Or, And I'm just throwing that out there. It's just something I wonder about. You know, I think as educators, we need to embrace the, the fact that AI is available and students are going to leverage it, whether their teachers are modeling the correct user. Right. So it, it doesn't seem to be an option, in my opinion. 
that that trying to ban AI. And most apps that we use and websites, they're already using some form of AI. It's not, it's just now that we have access to leveraging some of that. So I think that in the same way, especially starting young and explaining the what and the why and showing how to leverage this content, but also making them aware. I mean, I was with another educator this morning who talked about the fact that because AI learns from human behaviors, it can learn to lie. It can learn to have a fit. It can, you know, there's, yeah. So, you know, just as a, you know, I was an English major to start, just as you need to demonstrate your resources and highlight where you're gaining content and showing the development of work of a paper, of a poem or whatever that it is, I think the more we require that of students, it will show that they need, they can show the development. Sometimes I wonder, you know, have the students write the paper on their own, then ask, you know, one of the tools to write a paper on the same context, see how they did, you know, really leverage the ability to see the difference and then know their value as a as a writer or as a producer of content. But then they can also use AI for specific tools. You know, I, I've used it for conference titles. That That's exhausting, thinking of the coolest name. And some things that I put in, I'm like... And, it might spark, it sparked an idea, but nothing I found did I copy and paste and put in because it wasn't exactly right. And that's where I think we need to show the, the students the value of that and, and them feeling good about doing things on their own and then also leveraging the technology as it best fits that particular activity or need. That's fantastic. And by the way, mind blown on the idea that it can learn to lie. I never even thought of that. I mean, I didn't either. I'm of the generation, you know, like Terminator. So, you know, the computers are coming to get us. But I um, yeah, I never even thought that as AI learns, you can teach it to lie. You can teach it to do different things. So that's... Scary. That's really interesting to think about. It, it, scary is a really good word to start off with, but that's, that's good. So, and, and thank you for that, for taking my thinking in a different direction. School leaders looking at inclusion and the ability to make technology accessible, make education accessible through technology and use all those tools. How does a leader going go about doing that? Is there something they should think about? What are the top things leaders should keep in mind as they work to help staff integrate this? Because obviously there's a procurement piece and there's that side of things. But once we think about what we want to get into teachers' hands, how do we go about making sure that all works right? So that's really what Sites is. It's a framework. It's designed on a website to kind of see where where are you in your school or district and where do you need to go? All right. And and I say that because there are some districts where they might have a large population of students with disabilities. So they feel pretty good about where they are and some of the practices they have in place. But then other folks haven't really had to address it in the same way. And so... We have a set of practices and those practices, one of them is leadership, the other is infrastructure, teaching, learning, assessment, and then across those practices is family engagement. And we suggest that folks start with leadership, you know, really look at their vision and goals. Is accessibility, is supporting students with disabilities a part of that? You know, as you mentioned at the top, folks talk about equity, but accessibility in students with disabilities is not always part of that conversation. And then look at their planning and say, okay, 
where are we? How have we included these concepts of inclusion, of ensuring that students have the the content and devices they need as part of our master plan? And then goes without saying, with as with everything in our school systems, we need that professional learning in place. We need to monitor our progress. And that family engagement is so critical because it might be that a family member has a disability and leverages some of these tools. Ask them what they think. Ask the users. Some students might be too young, but some are old enough and they can give that input. And through sites, we have self-assessments and just an interesting antidote. Some of the districts, we work with six districts closely the last several years. We ask them to complete the self-assessment. So they'll create a leadership team. It has folks from curriculum, assessment, the superintendent's office, IT and ed tech, special ed. Complete the self-assessment about your district separately and then come together in a room or via Zoom and talk about your scores. Sometimes the scores are like this. You know, IT is giving themselves a 10 and special ed and AT giving them the district a five. And then it might be the opposite where special ed thinks they're doing a great job about communicating what they're purchasing and letting IT and ed tech know so that things, to your point, are interoperable. And IT saying, no way, last year you bought blah, blah, blah. And we were stuck trying to figure out how to make it work. So that self-assessment and self-regulation is is really critical. And it can be done, you know, folks are in different places. Throughout the site's website, we highlight examples of districts that have some of this under their belt so that folks can see it as a reality of of what's going on across the country. That's fantastic. You know, I mean, you've said a lot and we're coming to the end of the podcast. I, I could talk to you for, for quite some time. You've got a, you've got a lot of good perspectives and, and good advice, but I have two questions that I ask every guest that come on that I, that I end the show with. And the first one is if you were not an education or an educator, who not, what would you be? So I think this is a challenging question, but I do think I would be an advocate and a leader. And I would know, just knowing my personality and, you know, in and outside of my daily job, but also within my family and my personal life, I've always been a connector, someone that brings folks together and also someone that would advocate and fight for an underdog. And so I feel that that leadership skill would bubble up no matter the what of my career um, over time. So, you know, we, we talked a lot about accessibility, equity, social media tools, and how to support and engage and empower people by the use of those. So my last question to you is, what's the most important piece of advice you would give leaders as they work to better support, engage, and empower those they serve? I think the number one thing is to collaborate, to seek out others in your role and work together because you're not alone. As unique as your district or school might seem, there are folks that have similar circumstances in other places. And joining associations, whether within your region, your state, national associations, where you can learn from others is so critical. And then remember the team around you. You have experts. Whether you hired them or they've been in their roles, there are those folks within your building or within your district that can support your work. So that to me is so critical. And anytime I've seen examples throughout my career, watching powerful 
impactful schools and districts, it's where folks are working together. And I, and I think that is just so critical. And, and people are very giving of their time and energy too. I think that when they hear, you know, I was at CETA for a long time, but when a state ed tech director would hear that someone else was having a problem and they knew something about that, they would just pick up a phone and call and, and talk to each other and give up their time because someday they might need that reciprocal or just because it's the right thing to do. Well, Christine, you, you've said so much, given all the listeners a lot to think about. You've, you even on the fly gave us four steps as to how to make our social media presence better. I really appreciate it. Look, if people listen to this and they want to get in touch with you, they, they want to hear more about what you do and the good work that you're, you're spreading across the nation. How do they do that? Sure. So I, I am on LinkedIn and on X <laughs> slash Twitter <laughs> Every- at CA Fox. I'm also happy to take an email from anyone, cfox at cast.org. And finally, I will give a slight plug. We have a community of practice for the sites center. We meet bi monthly. It's literally a conversation about accessibility and inclusion and supporting those students. We don't spam you with email. You can sign up. I'll give the link. You sign up, you get a Zoom invite. When you can come, please come. When you can't, you can't. But it's not a presentation and it's not a webinar. And we have a Slack channel. So when people have a question, they just ask each other. So that would be another way to get in touch with me or other leaders that are kind of doing this day-to-day work. Awesome. That's that's fantastic. Thank you very much for sharing all that. And like you said, looks like we're going to have quite a few links in the show notes Yes, for this show. And that's a good thing. So um, good. people will check those out and they'll be able to hit them. I, Christine, I, I really appreciate you coming on today. I really did enjoy our conversation. And I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to talk to me about, you know, inclusive technology and, and how to make things more accessible for students. I appreciate the opportunity anytime and I look forward to connecting in the future. Well, that's a wrap, but not the end. Next step, be sure to take action on something you heard here today. Hey, thanks for listening to the Scene to Lead podcast. If you would like to connect for any reason, email me at drchrissj at gmail.com or catch me on Twitter at Jones. If you've gotten any value from the Scene to Lead podcast today, you can help me and other leaders create a world-class environment through a teacher-centric approach by subscribing to the show, leaving an honest rating or review, and sharing this episode on social media with your most valuable takeaway. Also, one last thing. Have you had a chance to pick up my latest five-star rated book yet? Grab your copy of Seeing to Lead anywhere you buy books or at seeingtolead.com. That's S-E-E-I-N-G-T-O-L-E-A-D.com where you can learn more and continue to improve. Now go have a successful week. And now a quick word from our sponsor, Jigsaw Learning. Whether you lead at the school, district, or division level, you're serving a wide array of students, and you know that no one person has all the answers when it comes to meeting each of their needs. That's why Jigsaw Learning helps leaders and their staff and faculty to develop a collaborative approach. Every child deserves a team, and when you put together the pieces of effective collaboration, you can realize that team's full potential. Connection, relationships, and authentic collaboration are at the foundation of Jigsaw Learning's work. Through professional learning presented on-site, online, or a blend of both, Jigsaw's team of experienced learning associates works with you to develop a personalized plan 
to help collaborative response thrive in your organization. Learn why educators have described working with Jigsaw Learning as powerful, wonderful, and beneficial for all students. Visit jigsawlearning.ca and connect with the team for information. That's jigsawlearning.ca. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com B-E.